You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Hey, first question, lightning round, just one thing each. We'll just go through one phrase is all we need. From Paul down the uh, road through to Andrew, what's the best thing you've found about marriage? And Paul says the best thing is? Companionship. And I also say all of you can say the same thing. You can say the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Heather? I cracked a joke earlier. I said 43 years, that's how long we've been married. Um And I've decided to continue with him because I've invested so much, it's not worth giving up. (laughs) But, yeah, it's it's actually companionship. It's a sunk cost. No, it's uh... (laughs) not. 43 years of companionship. Andrew? Um, To be very, very boring, that's right. That is, um, we became friends first although I swore after Beach Mission, which is where I met Heather, that I would never... We, we just didn't strike it off. We didn't like each other. <laughs> but then by accident, we got back together again. We decided we actually did like each other. Um, and and we've been friends ever since. And uh, that, that's a good grounding for a marriage, I think. Uh, just sure. reality. Great. And, and another lightning round, Paul. Hardest thing. Uh, almost challenging thing in marriage so far? Uh, most challenging thing is not being able to do what I want when I want. <laughs> same. I have my own opinions, but it is the same. <laughs> I'm going to rephrase that. The most challenging thing is sin. So I'm sinful, he's sinful. And that's the most challenging thing. Uh, no, I, I agree with that. <laughs> well, there, there you go. There, there's all the answers. There seems to be 100% agreement across of them, which is, which is great. Before we get to some of your questions here, which are really wonderful questions, I just want to uh, follow up on a question each for each of them based on things that they've said, which I've been really helpful. And um, Heather, you, you kicked us off. And one thing you said um, in passing, which I found really insightful and, and kind of countercultural as well, is that there is the possibility of idolising marriage. Now, uh, this sounds awful, but what I say is, if I see a newly married couple, I kind of go, look, they're allowed to be slightly obnoxious for a year, right? But then after that, you kind of have to hit reality again. Um, How do you tell the difference between just being in love and loving your spouse versus actually idolising your marriage? I think the most important thing is to realise that there is no marriage in heaven. And the reason is because we have the marriage of the son and the church in heaven. And so what we have now is, if you like, a glimmer of that that we are going to experience in eternity. The way to to see it is if the focus is all on Andrew's perfect. Andrew's not perfect, let me tell you. I've lived with him for a long time. He's not perfect. But if I keep telling you how perfect he is, 
and that he fulfills all my needs. And if I depend on him and I can't, I'm kind of joined at the hip to the point where it's obnoxious, um, if I am not outward-looking, if I'm not upward-looking, I am always Andrew-looking, I'm idolising marriage. Heather, one question that's just, I think... Oh, no, it came through 11 minutes ago, but it got upvoted to the top. Oh, wait, no, it's equal top now. Um, so... It, it, the question is, what might an overly dependent marriage look like? Which is kind of what you're getting to. But what what would you... You've seen a lot of marriages and past a lot of couples as well. If you were to see an overly interdependent sort of... Or codependent marriage, what would that look like in an unhealthy way? What, what would you identify there? Um, yeah, I've seen a few of these. And basically, they they are like that, that... that it's almost like the couple turn to each other to fulfil their needs. So... It looks like really loving and it looks often can look really godly because they kind of like serve each other. But it's kind of obsessive in that somehow that service and that integrated service fulfills needs within each other. So I can, when we said companionship, companionship is a two-way street. But remember I said God needs top place. He demands that from the beginning. I think that sometimes that kind of... um, So it's really hard to say because often these marriages look really godly but they're all about, you know, my life will end if this person dies. So, yes, if Andrew died tomorrow, I would be a shattered wreck. And you would expect me to be a shattered wreck. But my life would not finish. Because I'm still Christian, I'm still part of a church, I'm still here. God did not take us together. And she committed herself to the Lord and has said that he is her best interest. And so all the time, and if in marriage I'm encouraging her to fulfil that, then she loves the Lord her God with all her heart, soul, strength and mind. Because the promise actually more powerful than the ones that you made to each other on your wedding day is actually the promise that you made to the Lord Jesus when you chose to trust him. Uh, And and you can't see that necessarily from the outside in. But if you feel like someone is kind of like... um, has an overinflated view of their spouse and never sees any bad in them, then that's a warning point, I think. They may not be sharing the bad with you, so come to me later and I'll tell you all the bad points. No. <laughs> I, I, I did actually want to ask following up on that um, because, as you say, it's hard to see from the outside in. Sometimes it's even hard to see from the inside out, I suspect, like if you're that enamoured with each other. So you need good people around you. And I think um, I know from speaking to both of you before, when you guys lived in Sydney... Uh, you were telling me you didn't... It wasn't just each other that you had to help you with things. There were moments where, Andrew, you, Heather, sent you packing down to Melbourne uh, to, to get some help from our other yeah. friends. Do you want to tell us a bit about um, the, the influence that other friends have had on you and how that's helped? Yes, it's been immensely important. Uh, I, I, became, heav- I was heavily introverted as a, uh, as a teenager, sent off to boarding school when I was 11, and became introverted um, 
And when I became Christian, I realised you couldn't live like that. Uh, that you needed to learn how to relate to other people. And God in his providence brought me across some very significant people. And I realised that they, that I needed them, even if they didn't need me, I needed them to talk to. And, and Adam reminded me uh, that when we lived in Sydney, there was one particular person, one good friend that I'd made uh, in Melbourne, uh, a, senior, a senior clergyman in the Anglican Church. And she would say to me, Heather would say to me, I think it's time you went and, went and spent some time with X. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so this was Peter Adam. So those of you who know him, uh, we became good friends. And uh, we still, I've got an email just come in this last week or so where he says to me, how are you? Let's talk sometime. And and so having those sort of relationships are really, really good because I need something outside of my relationship with Heather, with someone I can trust who can help me in my Christian life and just be a friend. So those things are immensely valuable and Heather understands it, so she likes it when I go off to see. Oh, I like it. <laughs> uh, just, just one thing on that, women need it too. So it's not just a man thing. I think women need women, men, men need men. But men don't and, always realise they need other yeah. men. And, and so I think it's really important. One of the warning signs is that there is this kind of like silo and they don't need anyone else. That, that's just coming back. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you so much, Heather. Paul, uh, you talked, one of your first points was uh, the grass is not greener on the other side. When you do get married, it's not as if, you know, that's, you've reached the new creation in that moment. Uh, there's just as much sin. Or I think you're almost suggesting there's more because you've got two people now uh, and you've got to deal with that. Um, uh, it is easy... Um, for a single person looking into a marriage to see that the grass is greener. And no doubt part of that is due to the single person desiring to be married. So they're all, they're all, no matter what is shown, they're always going to see it's going to be greener. But as, as a married couple, how do you... What, what are the challenges, as it were, or pressures of showing that the grass isn't greener? Does that make sense? Because as a single guy looking in, I can kind of go, oh, it looks so wonderful. But when I talk to my married friends, I also get the sense sometimes just pressure maybe to make it look good uh, or Sam Albury said we often compare the <coughs> best of marriage with the worst of singleness so of course you're always going to see a massive disparity between the two but do you want to talk to that a little bit what are the pressures and challenges of showing vulnerability yeah yeah um, I think sometimes uh, some of the issues married couples go through can be quite personal and uh, quite deep and um I think a lot of times um, the one side of the married couple will want to be protecting the other, so um, they want to respect, um, you know, the privacy of like uh, your spouse. They don't want to badmouth them, um, and I think they're all really good intentions. Uh, but what could happen is if they're not dealing with the conflict or managing that or dealing with the sin, um, and it's not really quite working out, it can. You know, as, as uh, Heather was kind of pointing out, it could end up being this silo bubble where um, they, they may be just hiding their sin, right? It, it, 
it's kind of similar to like a single person hiding a sin, but now you're just a married unit hiding your sin or um, not dealing with those issues. And I think uh, one helpful tip that I got um, uh, prior to getting married was that uh, have like a few um, guys or a few, few friends that you can really go to um, for these things and talk to them and make sure that your partner knows who they are. Um, so um, I think one of the things I tried to do was um, uh, get Raina to really know some of my closest friends and um, and and be comfortable with them, uh, knowing that I've kind of got that license to share, you know, some of those deep, you know, um, uh, sins and, and conflicts and burdens that um, I was going through in marriage uh, together with these people. Um, and so I think um, she was comfortable with that, knowing that those friends of mine also had our best interests at heart, and it wasn't like just to you know, share gossip, badmouth my partner or anything like that. And I think, um, yeah, those are some of the things that... No, that's, that's really helpful. Um, and and Raina, um, I know you hate Q&A panels uh, and you're thinking about <laughs> gardening and going to Costco after. Uh, that's okay. Uh, I, I, I want to ask, um, you guys said you were, it's important to make time for God and each other. We've often talked about God, each other and others in that. I think um, one of the challenges it, it sounds like when you get married is just there's a time crunch. Uh, and, or especially when kids come along, there's a massive time crunch. Um, how do you... I cannot see how you, the necessity of making time for God and each other. How, how have you navigated making time for others in that as well? Because I can imagine it's easy in those moments to kind of tunnel vision. You go, we need to honour God. We need to make time for one another as husband and wife. And then that last group of others kind of falls off the back of a truck. And particularly when kids get there, um, you kind of know who's at the bottom of the queue. So how do you, uh, have you and Paul thought about making time, not just for God and each other, but making time for others as well? Um, Yeah, can't speak about the the kids bit, Mm. but um, yeah, how Paul and I have kind of thought about it is putting aside time each week for ourselves. So every Tuesday night is the night like when we spend time together and then we keep weekends free for things that might pop up, like catch up with people regularly. Um, yeah, so that's basically it, right? Yeah, I think we also kind of, like Tuesday nights are our nights and then we've got like our various one-on-ones during the week. Um, we've got BLT on Thursdays and like it's pretty much set during those weeks and then we try to keep Friday to Sundays kind of like our ad hoc um, stuff to... Uh, really serve others and, and um, you know, there's always events and stuff during the weekend. And that's what I've appreciated about you guys. You guys make time for each other and guard that, but you also free and release each other to care for others. And you don't always have to be together every time you do it, but sometimes you are and sometimes you're not. Well, why don't we hit some of the questions that have come through, top voted one. Um, Andrew, can I ask, here's a question. Uh, on companionship, it's the thing that was mentioned across all four of you. What about if I marry and quickly discover we don't enjoy each other's company after all? Then you you need to get help. Um, you need to go and see someone or get help or get a dog or... <laughs> that solved our problems. Uh, I... I'm, no, I'm fairly serious about it. We walk the dog every day, twice a day. 
You don't have to look at in, in each other's eyes. You've got nothing to talk about, just talk about the dog. And, uh, and if you run out of things to talk about, no, and we talk heaps doing that. So the dog's just an icon in one sense for the larger idea. Find something that you do together well, which life doesn't hang on. So that, that's incredibly helpful, particularly I'm an introvert, Heather's an extrovert. <laughs> so, so that helps us. But that's actually quite helpful even saying at that point, getting help is good. Because I think often what happens is by the time people get help, often they ask when things have worsened quite a bit and it's quite hard to recover. So it's probably good to put up your hand maybe that tad bit earlier and just ask for help. Yeah, Heather, any thoughts on that? Just one more thing. We started that right from the beginning, not to walk in the door. We will make, we will make effort in this area. There are times when I don't like Andrew. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because, you know, sometimes you're tired and he's being obnoxious. And you're being obnoxious too, but that's irrelevant. So we are simple human beings. We've broken the mic. Um, we're sinful human beings, and so naturally um, we won't always like each other. But what we've noticed in marriages over time is that the marriages that don't work tend to be the ones that focus on the negativity. So the important thing is when, when I don't like Andrew, I work at thinking about what I do like it, about Andrew. So it's about thinking, it's about making time together, it's about working on the companionship thing. So when we were first married, for, we thought we, have to, we don't do well sitting looking across a table with a candle. We just, if, we're, if we're cranky, we just argue. The candle is irrelevant. It's not romantic. It's just an obstacle in between us <laughs> that stops us reaching over to punch each other's face. So... We work much better if we're working on a task together. So what we did was we decided let's get something that we can do together that will take a lot of time. We started hooking a rug. We've never finished it, um, but we call it our marriage rug because we were doing a task together towards a common goal and talking about the things we hated about each other. Our first two years of life, it, we had one day a week like you guys, but that one day a week was a time when we started the evening by saying, what have I done this week that has really got up your nose? And then Andrew would ask me, what have I done this week that has really got up your nose? Is there anything we need to change? So rather than being romantic, it's actually looking at we have problems in our marriage, let's resolve them. Yes, someone said to me, I was talking to a friend about this who deals with sort of the singleness marriage space and she said, um, Disney culture has really made marriages a lot harder for people because it has kind of painted a picture which is just unrealistic mm -hmm. uh, of marriages and people aspire towards that. Um, my question that you don't have to answer is, what are you stitching on the rug as you actually tell each other what you hate about each other? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we were following a pattern. <laughs> I'll show you our marriage rug sometime. It just sits there. It's we we like we should throw it out. It's just it's half done rug that we were stitching. We've lost the pattern. 
we've just got this half-done rug. But for us, that rug symbolises our investment in our marriage. And I was warned when I went to ask for her hand that father said, do you know what you're getting into? <laughs> so, so, so the quick, just that again. Um, yeah, so when I... Yeah, you, so I, I think you come into marriage thinking I've got to work on it. One of the things about working on it is confessing sin to one another. And this is, we've kind of addressed this in part, but maybe I might get some thoughts from Paul and Rainer on this one. Um, what are good things to share and things not to share when it comes to confessing sin to one another? Uh, I guess to uh, just be real honest and, um, and uh, share what you've done wrong um without hiding it and without like kind of making concessions um i think um sometimes it can get really like you know it can be pretty bad um so and i think that like when i've shared some stuff with Raina, um she's tended to listen really well and try to understand where that's coming from um what not to share (laughs) i guess like you don't you don't want to make like heaps of excuses like for for what um you've done wrong because that kind of detracts from the confession um so like yeah I think also I kind of mentioned this in our talk about like um, the instinctive way of thinking of like assuming the worst of the other person. So in sharing, kind of being aware of that and being like, this made me feel this way, but I know that that might not have been your intention. what was your thinking about and, and that's, that? Yeah. That's quite powerful as you say that, Boz. Actually, when you think about the one another commands in the New Testament, they're actually just between all believers. So it's not only do this in marriage or this only applies for friends or this only applies to certain Christian people. If you think about the basic things, actually, the basic one another's that you should practice between all believers, if you do do that in your marriage, if someone's confessing sin to you, whether it's your husband, wife or friend, um, there are wise and unwise ways to respond to that. Uh, but I think often the closer the relationship, you know, it's easy to just kind of blow uh, at the other person really easily. But we're actually called to respond with grace in those moments, even as hard as it is. I, I did want to, I know there's so many questions that relate to marriage specifically, but we are thinking about the relationship between marriage and other people in the church as well. So I did want to ask um, you guys, uh, you guys have touched on it before, but Andrew before spoke about how people like Peter Adam were helpful to you and you don't, you need more relationships than just your marriage. Um, How have you guys sought to serve and love single people, your single friends within the church and and as as Christians? What are some practical things that you guys have done to that end? Um, I guess uh, reach out to them and um, I guess... A lot of times, I know that when I was single, it was a little bit more difficult to kind of go up to the married couple and be like, "Oh, you know, you know, how are you guys going?" and like, like trying to 
get this real relationship going with them. Um, but I think reaching out to them, um, trying to catch up with them, see what they're struggling with, um, and yeah, really sharing that, uh, getting them involved um, as part of our family, making it a like a norm for them to be able to come over and just like um, share lives together. Um, yeah, anything else? I think sometimes like if the single person um, has like different preferences and how they'd want to hang out with us as a married couple, that's something I also ask, be like, hey, how, you know, as, as a married couple, how can we best serve you? Um, that's something that I found really helpful, um, especially if they have, yeah, different, you know, they feel differently about different things, um, you know, what we do, yeah. Mm. Heather, I've got a, uh, one of the questions that's come through, but I'll ask the question and then, well, once I'm going to refine the question, um, I'll, I'll ask it, but then I'll preface it with this. I think um, uh, as a single guy, what often happens, uh, one of the isolating effects is um, you want to be there to support your married friends, but then if your married friends don't share the struggles of marriage, that's a big part of their life that you feel is no longer there. And I was talking about it with these guys yesterday, but what can often happen is, um, like if I have a friend and, and he's dating, it's in a dating relationship. Often your friend will share with you the struggles of dating relationship. But as soon as they get married, it's like the doors just close like that. And it's like, okay, have fun. And all you ever see then are the good things. And you know, how's your marriage? And it's like, it's okay. Uh, and that's it. And I think Paul spoke to one of the issues, which is you kind of don't want to dishonor or... or to put it bluntly, chuck your spouse under the bus to your friend or something like that. Um, one of the questions that's come up here is, how do you share the flaws of your spouse openly without being disrespectful or unloving? Or maybe put another way, how can you share the struggles of your marriage with a close friend, not just anyone, but with a close friend, without at the same time dishonouring your, your spouse in that? Part of, part of that is um, permission. So... I know there are certain aspects of our married life that I won't tell you about because they're, yeah, to, to share them I don't think would be helpful to you and they, it would not be honouring to Andrew. Um, but some, so, and sometimes when we're going through a struggle we may not share it with others but we will share it later. We are generally fairly open about the struggles in our marriage, if you ask us, um, because, you know, we just want people to know it's not, it's not heaven. You know, it is, it gives us a glimpse at times, but it's not the, the true thing. And we, we need people to know that um, if you're married, we want you to know that, you know, you're not alone in your struggles. We, we've been there before for many years. We've had some amazing arguments. Like when I say amazing, I mean loud. Um, I think Andrew broke a phone once. By He obviously didn't want to hit me, so he slammed the phone on the table and the phone broke. That's kind of argument. Now, you know, that's just if you love someone, you actually get crankier with them than with anyone else. That's why divorces are so horrible, because love has turned to hate. So I think it's really important to be wise in sharing. I will share you all sorts of things about Andrew. Already has. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, 
but, but, but generally it, I share the things that mm. I know he doesn't mind and if I want to share something and I'm not sure, I'll check with him first. So follow-up question on that. Uh, maybe you got the wrong couple to ask because you're very open about it, but what if um, your spouse just doesn't really want you to share anything about it? It's the whole, you know, you share something and then the friend walks away, why did you tell them that? Sort of, uh, sort of like that there's just there's a, there's a deliberate desire to not well that, that that could be due to other issues mm. like for instance if if i have poor self-esteem andrew sharing with the world that i'm not good at something may shatter my self-esteem more and so it might actually be better that he doesn't share that so there you need to know your spouse so we're fairly ro- robust self-esteem wise which means that we're quite happy to, for you to know that we're incredibly flawed. But if if I wasn't robust, I wouldn't want Andrew putting me down. Can I go into bat for Andrew for a moment? What if he's feeling really squeezed in that moment and he needs to share it with someone because actually he's not coping? I think that I would say to Heather either I have just spoken to so-and-so and I need to tell you that, or I would ask permission, preferably the second option first. I'd say to Heather, I, I really need to talk to someone about this. Uh, Joe Bloggs, uh, he's the person I intend to talk to. Is that okay? And generally, that's Heather would hear that as a cry of help and say, yeah, go ahead, uh, something needs to happen. <laughs> it's that loving one another and deferring to one another yeah, yeah, in that. Yeah. Um, Paul, you want to add to that? I think also thinking about the the single friend or, or the friend that's like potentially seeing some issues, seeing the conflict, or um, but you know having the couple or, or, or your mate, your married mate, saying like, oh, you know, everything's fine. Um, I think the way to serve them in that context is probably to at least acknowledge that, hey, you know, there is some stuff that we're dealing with. There's something wrong, but you know, I can't really like share that and, and really just. Um, Acknowledging that because um, instead of just shutting them out, um, thinking that, you know, they've lost a friend or, like, you know, now that they're married that, you know, like, they're just shutting me out. At least, like, acknowledging that there's something there um, but you just can't share it is probably helpful. I think you can overshare too. So I think sometimes if married couples, if I tell you everything that's wrong with our marriage and never tell you the good stuff, you're going to go well, if they can't succeed, I don't want to get married. And so you can actually make people scared of marriage if you overshare and you can make people kind of like... We, we need to realise when we're sharing, we're shaping expectations. And so we always need to think about it in terms of our spouse but also, I think, in terms of the person we're sharing with. I think that so much of this is thinking about who you're talking to uh, and not just having a one-gear approach to everything but actually loving one another in that. Um, I want to ask um, just a couple more questions and then I want to get to that final um, spicy question about kids uh, that will lead us into waiting for another few months for the next one. Um, But we've also talked about um, having relationships, uh, loving one another in the church as married and single people. But another dynamic here is, and the question comes through, what does a helpful dynamic look like for a younger married couple and an older married couple to care for each other? Maybe Paul and Raina, what would Raina, what would you like actually? So I think that's a. In many ways, you're in a position where a younger married couple. What do you think? How do you think an older married couple, or even an older single person, like 
Peter help Andrew in that situation, but how can older people come alongside you guys and help you? Now's your opportunity to kind of look at everyone else and on a podcast and just kind of say, this is what we would like you to help us with. Uh, what, what, what would be, what would serve you guys well? I think in the past it's been super helpful whenever an older married couple has like just said, hey, what's wrong? And identified some issues that we weren't aware of um, or hadn't thought about and sharing their experiences around how they've gone about it. That's been that's been probably the best, like, um, input or, like, way that they've served us. And then also kind of, you know, being a part of their lives and seeing how they relate to each other in different ways. Um, that's also been, yeah, great, Just seeing that, that model ahead of us. Paul? Yeah, and I think also um, there's so many things that we haven't gone through yet, like like children and, like, how to raise them and all these, like, like you know and the various phases of their lives that they go through and all this kind of stuff and I think like older couples who have been through that can really help by sharing how they raise their children um uh, in the word how they how they you know how they went about it can can really help as well and I think we're still kind of you know quite a loss I guess to how to go through that stage and I think um that's something that you know they can really help with. And, and one of the challenges, of course, is we, I had to say it, but sometimes we think everything will go well. But statistically, and it just breaks my heart to say this, but as a church, we will go through experiences like miscarriages and, and deaths and, and, and all sorts of um, trauma that come with raising a family. And so we need older people to come alongside us and help us with not just the good times, but hey, how, do you, how do you hold each other's hand through that? Heather, Andrew, I just wanted to ask, flip it the other direction. How can you see actually younger married couples serving and loving and enriching older people who are married or single? Help us across the road. (laughs) (laughs) I know this is serious. This is also your opportunity. You've got a wish list now. You can ask them to do whatever you want. So, uh. I think we, we get great joy from watching younger couples grow in relationship with each other. Every couple generally on their wedding day, they think they have the perfect partnership. And we know when we go to the wedding that within a few short months they'll realise that there are some flaws. Um we just love watching them embrace those flaws and um, turn those flaws into bonus. So I think part of the way younger married couples um, really help us is by working at their marriages, by sharing with us how they're working at their marriages by helping us see that if, if we have an impact on your marriage, we'd love to know because that's encouraging for us. But also sometimes we've had people who've, who've done things and we've thought, actually, that's a good idea, um, you know, which we hadn't thought about. You know, we might have been married forever, but we haven't actually thought about that particular idea. And 
um, you know, so it's it's just help. I think all married couples, it doesn't matter what your age is. Um, the danger with older married couples is you can fall into a rut with each other. And so we've had sessions with older married couples on marriage enrichment and the biggest problem is their life together is boring because they've kind of fallen into this rut and they don't have fun anymore and so they actually have to learn to have fun. So watching younger married couples have fun I think is really constructive because we it, it does become a little bit routine over time, you know. So, I don't know. Do you have anything to offer? Words of wisdom. No. Um, I think we have, we've had a great benefit in having been involved with student ministry for well over 40 years. And that's been immensely helpful for us because uh, we, we're kept in contact with a younger generation and we've made friends with them, we've watched them and um, we've often done marriage prep with them in our household so they know our household is okay. Um, and every now and then one or, one or another of them will come and say, we need help. Yeah. So you just keep the relationships boiling over and keep in contact with people even the sort of uh, just the email once or twice a year to ask them how they're going, these things open doors and they, they learn that they're still loved and we haven't forgotten them. Andrew, final question. This is the last one that will bridge us into the next one, uh, yeah. the next seminar that we'll have. But yeah. if, is it, is, it, um, should a married, is it a sin for a married couple to not want to have kids and then not have kids? Uh, the wanting is not sinful or not wanting. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, because I think having children is a very serious business. So that was the first half of your question. What was the second half? Or yeah. to not have kids. To not have yeah. kids. Um, if they can, yeah, if they're able. Yeah, if they're able to. Is it okay to not have kids? I would never give a blanket no. Because I think there are so many different factors that play into this. Uh, there are factors about illness. There are factors about um, psychology and all of those things. And in a world where you can choose, you need to be clear with people that there are choices they need to make. No, no simplistic answers with that, which is why it's perfect to hold that thought and come back uh, next year uh, as we have uh, a partial seminar on, on uh, parenting uh, on our ministry spreadsheet. It's currently tentatively titled, So Now I Have a Child. Uh, can, can, uh, can I just add to that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. We know so many married couples who decided not to have children and now have children because children are a blessing. So that decision, sometimes when you first make it, you may decide to change it. And we also know many couples who decided not to have children, then decided to have children and discovered they couldn't. So it's just a really important. That's, that's and, right. And then there's the joy of grandchildren who you can give back to their parents. And the sooner you have kids, the sooner you get grandkids. And grandkids are amazing. <laughs> so it depends. <laughs> But uh, 
My daughter-in-law says, I watch you with the grandkids and I want to be a grandparent. I say, you have to do the hard yards first. <laughs> well, guys, you've uh, submitted so many questions. Other questions include, which we're not going to answer right now, uh, what are some common challenges for intimacy and sex in marriage and how to address them? Um, have you encountered a couple where the guy or the head of the household isn't as spiritually strong as the other party? If so, how would you advise? Um, is there ever a situation when you can marry an unbeliever? Is, if there's no marriage in heaven, will I still be closer friends with my spouse because of our marriage history on earth? Uh, how should married couples approach porn addiction? Uh, if my married partner leaves the faith, what should I do? So there's a lot of other questions here that we, will, we could be here all day answering. Here's what I want to suggest. Um, we're not going to answer all of these or any of these right now. But um, now this could scare Howell, the comms team, slightly, but, or Joe, uh, or others. I actually want to suggest that... Um, over the next however many whatever, undefined time period, um, the staff team will undertake to pick some of these questions and maybe actually, would it be helpful if we answered this by video and just posted it up internally for you guys? Not all of these, but just some of these questions that we think would be particularly helpful. That way we don't need to regather every, every single time. But if we realize that there are pastoral questions or theological questions that you guys would like answers to, there are ways that we can seek to answer that. And having a short video, no more than three minutes, unless it's that particular question. Uh, would that be helpful for you guys? Okay, we'll, we'll seek to do that. Um, it won't be high quality, it'll just be a man and his camera. But, you know, uh, but we'll do our best. Or a woman and their camera. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and, and one more thing, I think. That is, you, you are, you're currently at a disadvantage. The disadvantage is that you're a young congregation. But as God adds older people, um, foster your relationship with them. It, it's worthwhile. Yeah. And they are there. And, and, and they are there the... and they would love to talk to you. So one of them's over there. <laughs> um, Hi, Susie. That, Hello. <laughs> but they're, they're all really wise. They're in our BLT and we just think we have the best BLT. We have a BLT full of wisdom and full of knowledge. So just go straight up to them and introduce yeah, yourself and say hi. They would, they would absolutely love it. Paul, can you pray for us? <laughs> uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time where we can um, open up your word and, and uh, look into your, um, uh, your, your creation and, and, and your, your plan for marriage and, and um, how that's a beautiful thing. Um, that one day uh, Christ will be uh, married to his church. And, and uh, we pray that uh, we all look forward to that one day. Um, and in the meantime, uh, for us to, um, yeah, really be, think about how we can reflect that well in our marriages or um, think about how we can serve you and others, um, whatever uh, relationship, sta relationship status that we're in. Um, yeah, and we pray with his name.